0: Oh we're recording Brenda. See the big smile on your face. <laughs> Great to see you, my friend. How are you? Thank
1: you, fella? Yeah, I'm doing well today. Had a nice meeting this morning. Random free thinkers. Always a good start to a Saturday. Yeah, 11
0: a.m. Irish time, 6 a.m. eastern, and 3 a.m. Pacific. Uh
1: look at that. What a lovely, what a lovely plug for 9 the 9 p.m. Free
0: thinkers. AEST as well. there we go. <laughs>
1: I know it it is a great
0: meet, great meet. But sure, it's the company you keep, Brendan. It's people like me and and Don and Roger.
1: That's it, but I wouldn't have said that in case you get a big head, but it's too late now.
0: (laughs) My head will always look normal compared to yours, though. Now, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, How many more days to retirement, can I ask? Mm -hmm. How many more days till retirement?
1: I don't know how many days, but I do know that I've got less than 70 night shifts until I uh, hang up my boots next year. Fantastic, Uh, my friend. Fantastic. Uh, It's uh, it's going to be late next year before I do retire.
0: You want to tell us about yourself, uh, where you grew up?
1: Well, as as you know, I'm from the northwest of Ireland, a Leitrim boy, North Leitrim, and, The Original uh, Leitrim boy, original Leitrim, the original Leitrim boy. That's it, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm the youngest of a very big family. I'm the baby of twelve, and uh, good, 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 uh, good Irish Catholic family, the classic. But it never felt, I never felt that I was uh, part of such a very, very large family because. Um, i was born in 65 so a lot of my family like there's 21 years between me and my eldest brother so a lot of my family had actually left home by the time i'd come along um, so a lot of people assume that i was brought up in a home that was chaotic with so many kids running around but that's actually not the case there was actually a lot less of us actually um, left by the time uh, by the time i came around so it was, uh, it was quite quiet, really, that I can remember. Uh,
0: so 21 was the age gap between you and the eldest? What was the one year? Yeah, years 21 to you? years, yeah. 16 they, between me and my sister. Yeah. Uh, it's mad because, like you are saying there, they had different lives, you know what I mean?
1: But to them, had, you know what I mean? Yeah, they did, but it never feels that way. People always think that you've got something quite... Explicit to, to give or something unusual, but for me, what's new, what what might sound unusual or or uh, different to people isn't because of course once you've lived that life, that's that's all you know. That's all I knew, so it didn't didn't feel. It's now more than anything else that I look back and I think, oh, that's that's nice. Like my eldest brother, the one who's twenty one years older, he's not just my brother, but he's a great friend as well. If anything, we've been getting closer over the years because his kids have now left home. Um, he's, he's many years retired from his job, so it gives him more time, uh, if you like, uh, to not just be with his own family and grandkids, but it gives him more time to be with his own siblings as well. So we're actually... It, I, I find that I'm getting closer to, to that end of the family then, than I might ever have been in the past. That's the only difference I get that I can could say, if, if you could call it a difference. But as a kid growing up, it just, that was my older brother, didn't make any difference to me, you know, that's all I knew.
0: Did you idolise him? I used to look up to my brother Michael
1: like he was a fucking god. Two of them, without a shadow of a doubt, not, not the eldest, but again, because of, you know, a lot of them had left home, they were living over in the UK, where I'm living now, I'm living in London. Um, so a lot of them had left... In terms of kind of idolatry and all that, I mean, there was there was two of them who who uh, I would have looked up to a great deal, uh, huge amount. My dad died when 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 I was only fourteen, so um, at that point, one of them, whether he wanted it or not, he had just come back from England that year. He'd lived over here in, in the UK for twelve years, and he came back in 1979 to Ireland. Um, our dad died in December of that year, so when my dad died, that brother. Um, I became very close with uh, and effectively uh, whether he liked it or not <laughs> I latched on to him and uh, fortunately he, he was uh, he was in business himself so he was able to help my mum out a lot um, so that was that was helpful that was useful that's the closest I would have come to idolizing anyone because again when you're in when you're in family situations you see everything that happens you see everything that goes on I'm not quite even sure that idolizing is 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 the is the best word to describe it. Not in the same way as you, you look at your favourite footballers and you see them scoring a goal. So that's all you know them for scoring goals on the on the pitch. <laughs> you think they get put back into a little glass box after that covered in cotton wool.
0: Your family could have had a football team, couldn't they? Twelve. Yeah, they could, yeah. Yeah, definitely could. No, United fan architecture
1: just one to so. hmm. You're a United fan, aren't you? Yeah, Manchester United, just to make make that clear in case anyone gets it confused with Leeds United or any of the other Uniteds. <laughs> I don't know. You, you, you should have been a Leeds
0: fan, fan, really, wouldn't you? That's, you're of that age group and you're Irish. So that's what you should be.
1: Yeah, well, there was a couple of kids that uh, that was in my village that were around the same age as me that were Leeds fans as well. The only thing I liked about Leeds was they had nice um, badges that you could sew onto your wrangler the Wrangler jackets. I think you're far too young even to remember them, are you? I do. I do know what they are, yeah. Yeah.
0: What did someone say to me the other day? It's like, "Yeah, you you better shut up, kid. I've got clothes older than you. I'm like, you should probably throw them out.
1: (laughs) Which is probably true. But in terms of what we're, probably the reason we got together today, in terms of drinking and all that, people always assume that a being Irish and second big families, that there was always lots and lots of drink, but that was not the case with my family. Um, we did not have drink in the house, even, even during Christmas and times like that. There was never a booze in the house and the few people that were drinking, it seemed that they couldn't handle their alcohol and it was a taboo subject and um, I think grandparents, but I can't be 100% sure. I think some of my grandparents may have had, certainly great grandparents. One of them, I think, owned a pub in Ballish in County Donegal. And I think the story goes that he drank himself out of that. Um, I, I never asked and I never delved into the full details of it. But in terms of my own immediate family growing up, drink was something that wasn't looked upon as helpful or useful. And I hated it. I hated what alcohol did to people. Um, and I was, you may have heard me say this before. I was adamant that I would never drink. I was absolutely, you know, if, if one of the few things that I was sure about that was that I would never drink. So picking up my first drink was almost like a shock. I wanted to keep it a secret, both to myself and to everyone else. It was almost, it's almost like I knew it was, I was putting myself on the naughty step from day one. I just knew it was not something that, that, um, was right for me because from from the get-go I got drunk anyway when I drank what age were so. you I was 16 so I wasn't that young by comparison to what you hear some people say some kids 13-14 when they start the per- first one you didn't have it in well, the house though, so it's a little bit more you know. Yeah, you had mates had it before, Yeah, mates probably before you once yeah, there. I mean, some of my friends did, yeah. I mean, I, that's it. I mean, the funny thing was, coming maybe from a big family, some of my friends were older than me as well, even then. Even when I was 13, 14, I did hang around with kids, some my age, but it was a, kind of because it's a small village where I came from. Um, some of them were in their like, late teens, and I was the only one that didn't drink. And That's why, to me, it was it was easy not to drink. It never, ever occurred to me that i would drink and i seen what it did to them as well even like at 13 or 14 i was kind of like sensible enough not to not to drink seeing what it did so going on the school trip and drinking was you know that was it and now and i was off i was off that was it once i started i was off every friday every friday did you smoke fags or whatever cigarettes Never, never smoked. That's why I laugh. I said I'd never smoke and never drink. That's the gang we were in in school, although we weren't, we weren't. when I say gang, the group of kids we hung around, but we were in that group that didn't smoke. I think the, kid, the class that were ahead of us smoked and the ones below me smoked, but we were in a group that we didn't smoke. And that was it. It was cool not to smoke as opposed to smoking.
0: What was your first drink then on the school trip or tour?
1: Yeah, it was on the school trip. I'll never forget it. Some Where did of my you go? went into a North license. We went to Amsterdam, in in Holland. Nice. No, and you never <laughs> <Yes>. smoked. <laughs> I, <was one. laughs> I would love everyone. I didn't know a you went to fucking Amsterdam. I said.
0: <laughs> Who the fuck gets to go to Amsterdam? In what the?
1: There you it's go. Just from the 80s. I'd, be, I'd been on a I'd been on a jet before I'd even been on a train. I always laugh, and I ended up working in, in an industry the rail industry for 35 years now but yeah so yeah some of my friends went in and, and got we're calling uh, you
0: the foxy man behind your back you know that sorry we're calling you the foxy man behind your
1: back the foxy man oh yeah that's right yeah <laughs> that's right you'll have to let people will explain that it's because I, I managed to to film a fox on the top of a London Underground uh, train like, a couple of months ago I think it was it's on YouTube, any anyway, of anyone wants to see
0: it. It's funny because I was talking to you that day and I like,
1: do You see this fucker here? Do you see this fucker?
0: And I'm like, What are you on about? It's like, Oh, I didn't send you the video yet, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: ran ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, no, it's cool, and, uh, cool so video. Uh,
0: no, Look, like, uh, It's a nice picture as well. Sorry. So you went yeah, uh, from Leitrim to Amsterdam, never on a train. Leitrim. All of a sudden, you're in Amsterdam.
1: What year yeah, is that? That's- <laughs> Eighties? Uh eighty one. Eighty one. Eighty one, I'm guessing. Eighty one or eighty two. Either eighty one or eighty-two. So yeah. So my I mates, mean, we did, they didn't think they'd get served, but they went into an off license or whatever the equivalent they called it in Amsterdam. And they got cans of Heineken. And then two more worked up the courage to go in and then I'm only uh, I'm not very tall so and 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 then at that time I didn't have gray hair obviously <laughs> they didn't think I'd get served so I was the last to go in and and I asked for the for the two cans of Heineken and I got served and the bigger guys were really disappointed <laughs> they thought they thought I was going to get refused so there was that there was that thing as well that uh, you know I felt good but i I don't know I think when I think about it I ju- it just I did it because the rest of them were doing it. I don't think it had anything to do with wanting to drink or wanting to even experiment with it or anything like that. I just did it. I was high. I was, I was really excited about being out of Ireland for the first time in my life. Um, school trip, getting to Amsterdam and all the excitement around that. Um, that was more of it as opposed to wanting to get alcohol. It never occurred to me that that's what we were going to be doing, walking down the street. What was the idea That's, of going to Amsterdam? Like, uh, like was, Oh, I've, I, I, to be honest, I guess it was just uh, the, the school I went to was a comprehensive, and and uh, they decided to to stand Protestant school? Like no, no, no. It's uh, it was uh, multi multi denominational. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> multi denominational. Telling me once
0: before that you you got a kiss off an old Protestant girl. Fair play to you. <laughs> Oh bless her!
1: <laughs> well, I say again, <laughs> the the girl, the first girl that I kissed, we were eight. Yes, I kissed her on the side of the cheek, and uh, her mum. We were, that was on another school trip from the school I went to, and uh, her mum found out, and I think she she started to cry because her mum got upset. I was the only little Catholic boy on the on the trip. I, I was the only Catholic uh, that was in that school up in up in the northwest of Ireland, and uh, that's a long story. I won't go into that. It might bore you, but. Um, Oh, yeah. No. So she started to cry. Jane started to cry. The lovely Jane, and uh, eight years uh, old, and you're stealing kisses by chase. There you go. There you go. You can see it. You can see the, <laughs> You can see I, I turned was head. Traumatic. I was going for the kill. I was. <laughs> okay. I, I was destined to be trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, was it just that I had a deep fondness for and, and love of others. <laughs>
0: Nicer way, what women do you like? Annie, (laughs) (laughs) what's my favorite drink? My next one, exactly. uh, a a guy that died a few years ago from one of that, and you'd ask him, How do you like your eggs with a second one? (laughs) But uh, so Jesus Jane, huh? Nice, uh, yeah. But how did uh how how long did you go to like Amsterdam for? What was the story there? That, that
1: was just a three day trip, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was nice to see Amsterdam when you're 16 years of age, and of course, when you're 16 on a school trip, you look and see the things. We went, we they brought us to some museums, and we've seen that beautiful painting Rembrandt's Night Watch. I can remember that. Uh, I've been to see see it since, and. Um, we went to The Hague, which is a beautiful. The Hague, of course, is the capital of, of uh, the Netherlands. It's a sm- much smaller uh, city, and more of a large town, like a provincial town. And um, it's beautiful. The Hague is very nice. Um, but yeah, I guess the reason we ended up going there was uh, it was just a one hour flight from Dublin. And it was on mainland Europe. So it was probably going to be there or Paris. So it just happened to be Par- uh, um, Amsterdam that we went to. And that was it. Two cans of Heineken and I was off. <laughs> we got to go up to
0: uh, Derry when I was in school. The lads uh, below, above us, they went to Spain about three or four years before us. That's the last trip out of Hale ever went to, man. They, they ruined it for everyone else. Was,
1: uh, That's was That's what. That's sometimes what happens. I guess it's difficult for for, it's difficult for school management and for the teachers to decide what's the best thing to do because they want to. They don't want to micromanage the young people when they're going away, going abroad. Um, But by the same token, if you get one or two strong characters in the group, that might lead them down the wrong way. That's what happens. Mm. But we no, it was it was a nice trip. It was a good trip, and and I would say as well that um i've always I, I had always had a fascination with with uh, from when I was a kid with um, other countries and, and 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 cultures and things like that although it's very difficult nowadays to consider that even when you do go abroad when you go to cities especially it's it's not possible to really immerse yourself in the culture it's cities especially are the same and this but i did i mean i can remember as a kid drawing drawing pictures of countries and then sort of talking about the the costumes they wore and the food that they ate and all that. yeah that's one of the nice things about living well I suppose anywhere nowadays again doesn't matter where you live, but certainly in London you get such a diversity in terms of what's on offer. It's a pity people don't I often think it's a shame that people don't see it that way for what it is. The, that the diversity offers you the opportunity to delve into so many things. It's fantastic. Okay. You know, uh,
0: food is amazing man because it does transport you know whereas like you're eating something it's like oh it reminds me of that time in Spain or fucking
1: whatever. that's you right and, and behind, yeah, different. yeah exactly and behind the food then there's always the backstory to to certain things and, and mm-hmm. stories and it's lovely you know uh, my, my partner is the, her parents were uh, from Gujarat in India although she was born in Uganda and um, she still considers herself culturally very much an Indian. And um, and it's, it's wonderful um, to, to be able to see certain things. And certainly food is one of the, the dominant things in that culture. But other things as well, how they celebrate their weddings, even, even the way mm-hmm. that they, they say goodbye to their loved ones when they pass on is very colourful. And, and um, even though someone like myself who's an atheist, I think, in Terms of, of how they do it, they really do celebrate the, the life of the person, it's wonderful, it's absolutely fantastic.
0: You see that show Rituals, uh, my friend from Cork sent me it, it's on the RTE player, it's really good. Man. Oh, and... it's fucking all different types of uh, like it, I can't remember any of the countries right now, but like uh, the way you're on about like the death and the life, and there was Burning Man, was it like episode four? And it's, uh, it's a great little show, so um, you know, when you're watching something. And like 30 or 40 seconds in, you just catch your phone and just fuck it to the side. And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> this is me for an hour and a half now. I'm, this is all I'm doing. Yeah. And then all of a exactly. sudden you turn your phone on and there's been like a fucking like 300 shit. I go, shit. I'm not, as great popu- I'm not
1: as popular as you, so I mean, I'd never have that many.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe I exaggerate. Maybe 150.
1: There you go, you see, I'm still not as popular as that. <laughs> I you always like travelling, though? In the sense you were in Vietnam earlier. Yeah, well, actually, it was funny because before uh, the UK went into lockdown, which I think was the 26th of March last year, I had just got back from Vietnam uh, three weeks out there. Um, I got back on the 13th of March. And um, it was one of the... Well, it was lovely, it was a wonderful trip because... Um, Vietnam had uh, stopped people traveling from China, South Korea, and Japan. But they were allowing people from uh, Western Europe, the United States, and other parts of the world. So it was very quiet. What might normally be, certainly the tourist areas, extremely busy. They were very quiet. So access and, and to things were much easier. So I actually had, had parts of um, Hanoi, Da Nang, Hoi An and down the south then um, Ho Chi Minh City we had it to ourselves it was wonderful so where you might normally have to queue up to see certain things um, we didn't have any of that and everything was available uh, to see anything that was worth seeing was, was available but yeah it's it's a strange thing as well um, just before I went to Vietnam I, I wasn't very excited about the trip which Kind of left me disappointed. I was probably doing too much traveling. I was taken for granted. I was losing the mojo for it. There's
0: a lot so of just Irish before I left, to this going, oh,
1: poor Brendan. Oh. Yeah, I know that sounds crazy, doesn't it? It does sound ridiculous. And that's that's what I mean. I think I'm feeling the best though, to, were you?
0: Sorry? You weren't feeling the best though,
1: sir. No, I was I was okay. Yeah no but I, sure what i'm saying about. was i was i, I wasn't as excited uh, about the upcoming trip as i would would have thought i might have been 10 or 15 years ago um i was probably maybe doing too much traveling um in one sense i wasn't giving myself time to in, digest and enjoy what i'd already done you know if there was the chance of booking a uh, booking a flight i'd be i'd be on on the internet booking a flight somewhere um Taking that Just, for granted anymore, are we? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Taking it for granted and not not savoring what was on offer. Because um, the year before, I think I'd been to Thailand, um, and uh, that, that was that was a, that was a nice trip as well, and that was long there, um, as I would have liked to. As a place I'd like to go back to as well. Yeah.
0: Uh, had sent me that picture before, and Tommy ran, ran, running out, running out of the room, shouting, "It's a boy! It's a boy!" We never returned to Thailand. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I don't know someone sent me a letter. It just seems like something you might send me. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: oh
1: yeah, there's a there's a joke about that, but I don't think it's for I don't think it's for airing to anyone that might be listening to this podcast.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't mind. You're quite funny. Tell me this, lad. Um, do you believe it, like it's a, a genetic disease, or do you believe it's just progressive? Or yeah, uh... it's quite
1: interesting. Good Some hard hitting uh, questions. No, I, I always thought as I I, I always thought that um, I read a book once when I wasn't that long around AA, and, and and it was a book, believe it or not, that a guy had written about the amount, number of people through history that were probably alcoholics. And I remember, I can't remember the name of the book or anything. And, and um, he was talking about Henry VIII, and that a lot of Henry VIII's actions and behaviours would have probably uh, suggested that he was an alcoholic, along with some other very famous people. And uh, but the guy described it, and I've always remembered it. Is that um, he he said that people were uh, predisposed predisposed to to uh, that, you know, the kind of a genetic, and it, that's no. This is what it was—an inherited vulnerability. That was it—an inherited vulnerability to alcoholism. So I kind of latched on to that because, because of my, because of say, if you like, some of the, my my um, family history. Having said that, in the last in the last twelve months, especially listening to so many people from across the world, I still think that I did have a, an inherited vulnerability. But then who hasn't, I think, in many ways. I heard a, a wonderful chair this morning and, and it was very obvious from the person that they would had a lot of trauma in their life. And so they turned to alcohol to ease a lot of the pain and, and the angst around much of the trauma they had. So I think that in addition to possibly being di- disposed to it, that sometimes people can nurture the illness as well. Um, I heard... Um, heard a wonderful guy. Um, he's passed away since he he, he worked in um, one of the clinics in in, in the United States. Um, he was he was he's a doctor from originally from Dublin. His wife's a, a very well known actress in 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 the United States, and um, he he did a wonderful um, workshop in Spain at a convention. I was at years ago, and he talked about that for alcoholics that would be predisposed and when they have a drink and they have sufficient amount of drink in the body that it's almost like a default switch in some part of the brain i mean he would have been getting into the neuroscience of it uh and, and not too deep at the time for the workshop because we were all lay people there but he spoke about a default switch and it's remains there and it will never it can never be corrected um now, how far, that's about 15 years ago, how far neuroscience and the understanding of alcoholism and addiction in general has gone since that, I'm not too sure. It's some, certainly something worth um, looking up. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the way he explained it. Um, and it was fascinating to listen to him to talk about some of the, not just the psychological things that happen, but the, um, the neuroscience and the biological and physiological things that happen in our body. But to answer your question, to summarise it, I think I certainly had the the inherited vulnerability to it, um, and and one and that was it. I was away, you know. But
0: so you never grew up with it in the house, and then you were saying you wanted to stay away from it. Like, was there many pubs in your village or your street, or like what was a. Uh your neighbourhood like in a sense like they turned you off it but then all of a sudden you get to Amsterdam and you kind of, like you said you got high from the idea the fact you got served you said you weren't that tall, how tall are you because I've been telling someone you're at least 6 foot I can tell by the look you. There, what, you? what
1: was that?
0: you're for freezing you? I
1: don't know if it's me or you can
0: you hear me okay?
1: yeah I can hear you again now Yeah, sorry, say that again Mark
0: so, uh, if you were turned English. off it. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sorry. So, like, in the sense, you, you, you didn't like the idea of going drinking, but then all of a sudden you went to Amsterdam, and that's where you had your first kind of drink. Why were you so off the idea or whatever? Like, you, you thought to yourself, like, what you've seen in the neighborhood or just growing up?
1: No, within my family. Right, one or two, one or two siblings in particular. And my my late father drank as well, and um, I some I sometimes feel a little unfair. The man's over forty years past now, but um, he, he he drank, and he certainly wasn't uh, he wasn't an, he wasn't a bad uh, he wasn't nasty or anything. In fact, if anything, he. he uh, He was was mellower when he'd have a few drinks, but he couldn't handle his drink, and he certainly didn't drink to have two or three drinks. When my father drank, he drank to get drunk, always. And he was, if you can imagine, he was in his early 60s when I was quite young, and my mother used to worry about him from his health. He he wasn't in the best of health. So when he drank, um, it was very clear that he wasn't doing any good to to his to his body, um, and and it was a worry. It was a worry for my mum, uh, and and that in in a sense, kind of, I, I was worried about it as well. And I guess when you're a kid like that, but not just not not just my dad, you know. And without telling other people's stories, which is not not it's not for me to talk about, even even members of my family. But I seen what it was doing. Good decent people. Good people who I cared for and loved and I hated to see what alcohol did to them um I and mean, it wasn't every day and it wasn't it wasn't even every week but if there were if you like episodes um there were there was something that definitely made me sit up and recognize the fact that alcohol was the common denominator if you like for causing some problems and uh, it, it, it I was quite certain I never would I was absolutely certain I never would. In fact, I, I should say as well, latch on that I think other people's um, situations as they were drinking saved me from a lot of a lot of issues. Because as though because you know yourself, we were crafty. When we're drinking, we have to we have to have our minds running at a hundred percent sometimes to get around certain situations. But there were also things going on in my life where I knew I couldn't I couldn't push the boundaries. I could not push the boundaries because at least my family had had enough intolerance, if you like, to certain things that I knew certain things wouldn't be tolerated. But that's all that did was made me play games. So if I came down from Dublin, I worked in Dublin when I was in my late teens, early twenties. So if I came from Dublin, I was a little bit more conscious of the fact that I couldn't drink that much. Didn't know stop me, but I was uh, certainly more of a rip roaring drunk when I was away from 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 the village that I came was brought up in. If that's making sense, so I was I, I was a bit more bit more careful about what I would be doing, because I knew I knew anyway that um, even though some people in my family, particularly my mum, my late mum, bless her, she would always say you you're, you're destroying yourself with drink. Even though I thought I was drinking less, she'd say to me sometimes you are destroying yourself with drink. Be careful. And it was less, as I say, when I was back home than when I was in Dublin. I got myself into some. Rare old scrapes when I was drinking.
0: Yeah. You want to talk about any of them? <laughs> yeah.
1: You're going yeah. yeah. in Dublin, you just yeah, well, start to array well, with a few yeah. the, the, the There's two things, there's, there's two stories that always come to mind. And, and one of them is, is one I shared, I think, at my second meeting. I think at my very second AA meeting, it was something I always needed to get off my chest. I was kind of straight in there doing the confessional. And it was, um, I, uh, I, I worked with a lady who was, I'm, I'm five foot four, but I worked with this lovely lady, really? her name was Elaine. Yeah, you see, and, and uh, her name was Elaine, I, I believe her you name and her might have been, you see, Elaine, Elaine Dunn, I think was her name, and uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying her name, but, um, she was six foot, and I and I fell head over heels with Elaine, and we were we were drinking. She was she taught me to actually drink Guinness with whiskey chasers, when I walked in in, in County Wicklow. So we'd go out and we'd drink. I worked for her on post the post office that time, and uh, so Elaine had a boyfriend, but he wasn't he wasn't a particularly nice guy. So I, I left a nightclub at about one o'clock in the morning in Bray in County Wicklow one Saturday night. And I met, I met Elaine's boyfriend and I proceeded to tell him that he really wasn't, wasn't good enough for, for Elaine and that she'd be better off with me or words to that effect. And surprisingly, he didn't agree with me. (laughs) 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 So his, his, his way of, of communicating his, his, his disagreement was to give me one good thump across across the jaw, and I just fell to the floor. And I think the poor guy got a terrible fright, because you'll see there's a good two-inch scar underneath my chin, Well, I've got a double chin now, so it's probably not as easy to see. But I, I, I got quite a bad injury, and he's seen, he seen the damage that had been done. So the poor guy actually helped me to my feet, uh, as drunk as I was, and he brought me and left me at my doorstep. To where I was living, the, the apartment I was living in in in, uh, in Bray in County Wicklow. but because of the job I was doing, I had to I was off sick for about two weeks from work. I mean, I, my face was a mess; it was swollen up. And actually, there's a there's a little side story to this. When I went back home to Leitrim, my uncle, who was alive at the time, came to my house, <laughs> and I opened the door, and I, I did look a little a little like Elephant Man. I really did not look very good. And he turned around, he was from Northern Ireland, and he went, oh, my God, what happened to you? He says, did you cut yourself shaving? (laughs) 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 I would have had to have been shaving with a hatchet, I think. Mm. But anyway, that's a side to the story. In terms of what happened, when I went back to work...
0: Her name is Eileen. you should have said back to her.
1: I, I went back to work. I worked, as I said, for a post and the, the postmaster who, who really wasn't very fond of me at all, um, because, I mean, I was I was quite a li- tr- little troublemaker as well from he didn't like me and he asked me what happened. So I wasn't going to tell him exactly the story. And uh, I'm laboring this story. I'm sorry. But anyway, I told him that I was set upon and I didn't say one or two, <laughs> by three or four young kids. And I didn't want to say there were big guys because, I, as I said, I'm not, not a big guy. And that time I was a lot, even slimmer that time. And uh, so I said there was three or four young kids, about 15 or 16. And they set it upon me uh, when I was coming home from this nightclub at one or two o'clock in the morning. And they beat me up. So he, he kind, of, kind of believed me, but he didn't, um, if you know what I mean. But the worst part of it was my best friend who I worked with, I told him the story and I made up that story to him as well. And he he came from Bray and Whitlow and then about two weeks later he came into the pub all triumphant to say that he and his friends had actually recognized the kids down the front the seafront from the descriptions I had given <laughs> and they were and they they were they carried out they carried out a, a, a court <laughs> so they inflicted damage on these poor four kids that had never done any harm to me so that was one of the first I was, that, that was one story, and, and I tell it because, of A, I felt so guilty for the kids, and secondly, because I've got the mark on my face to show it. That's, that's one of many little stories that I could tell. Nice. There was another hammered story. Out. <laughs> no, I didn't do it. Of course you'd say that. You know what? I must admit as well that I had to check with myself which of the story whether the story was true and I I I think I think even even now if I'm not careful sometimes I forget that the true story was that um what actually happened the guy that didn't agree with me about going out with Elaine because I had been so creative in in explaining the story over and over again about the kids that, that because that's what I told my family as well it was four young kids. And and the reason why that story was plausible, by the way, is because, you you know, this is a good laugh. I was a TV license inspector. <laughs> I hope that, nice. hasn't given, hope that hasn't given anyone resentment. But I was a nice TV license inspector. I let most people off. <laughs> so it, it, it seemed to marry up okay that somebody recognised me for the job I was doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There he is that's the prick <laughs> oh,
1: Christ <laughs> I bet you sorry you asked now
0: no I'm delighted man uh, I was telling someone before that uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, when we were buying drink we'd like knew you'd come along and you'd get it for us or whatever or someone else would come along yeah but every now and again you'd have to chance your arm with someone you know and uh, we gave this money to one lad, and he came out there and he was smoking a box of, you know, bags and uh, cigarettes. And he goes, where, where, where's our drink? And he goes, fuck off. And he just keeps walking. <laughs> I hated that's, that lad for years, man. Yeah, but yeah, I think about painful. it sometimes I'm like genius. Fucking genius. Well, I, Whatever.
1: I, I used to keep, I used to keep resentments like that. If I bought somebody around, if I was buying around and I bought somebody a drink that was in and, and they left, You know, I had a memory like an elephant, you know, I could, I could spend copious amounts of money on city things, but if somebody didn't buy me a drink back, I just, it was a great, great excuse to go and have another drink. It was always a very useful resentment to have, but deep down I was probably delighted that that I had had an excuse.
0: (laughs) So I was talking to Seamus about that before you haven't met him yet. That'll be a good day. Um, uh, why did we buy drinks for other people?
1: Ah, Well, I was a massive people pleaser anyway. And the more people I could not bring into the crowd. <laughs> you know, she didn't give a fuck. We bought drinks, I suppose, to make, to make, to make the... Misery little Company? Sometimes, oh, on it, well, sometimes to make what was probably not really... I'm not going to say socially acceptable because, of course, it's socially acceptable to go out and have a few drinks. But if you wanted to bring people into your circle and ensnare them and keep them there, it was making making what was a little bit unnatural, a bit more natural to, to kind of appease, appease your own mind. If you can get people to drink with you at the same level, then makes it, it makes it seem normal. I would think that would be just one of the reasons. And of course, as you get drunker and drunker anyway, you get a little bit more um, benevolent, don't you? you? You know, it's a kind of, let's all, let's all live for today. Que sera, sera, you know. And if you can make them your friends and it, and it only costs a drink, then all the better. But I, I would say probably the main thing is people pleasing because I very rarely got myself into big rounds where I wasn't watching. I would have to be very drunk not to watch who wasn't buying me a drink back. Mm. Just part of the craziness is now as well.